Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today's date is September 27th, 2021. My name is Bill, and I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast for the first and hopefully of many, someone that I've been get, trying to get on the show for a while here, but due to his busy schedule, wasn't able to come on here. Good, I was going to say good friend of the podcast, but this is really your first forte into it, but still a friend nonetheless, Eric. Eric. That is correct. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> well, that that's a very broad question. <laughs> uh, my name's Eric Harmon. I've been friends of Bill and Steve for well over a decade at this point. Yep. Bass player, first and foremost. <laughs> And yeah, just happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. So I would say if you found anything new and interesting in the past week, but if you found anything new or interesting at any point in time that you would like to discuss now. I know you're a big Parks and Rec fan. Yeah. I'm just here. This is the only reason I'm here. Just to <laughs> let you know that Mouse Rat has released the awesome album. <laughs> That's so funny. I it's it's funny because I've always wanted to have a legitimate version of Five Thousand Candles in the Wind. Like I it's it's like one of my favorite like songs that aren't from a real band. Like obviously like minus like Death Clock and like Steel Dragon and shit like that. Like Mouse Rat is like my favorite not or my favorite fictional band. Actually, you know it's funny, I forgot to bring them up when we did our fictional band episode uh season two or three, I forget. But we did talk about fictional bands. I'm actually really mad now that I never brought them up because they do have pretty decent songs. Yeah, they do. <laughs> in the pit. <laughs> I fell into the pit. Not going to lie, when that album came out, I was blasting 5,000 candles <laughs> at a traffic light and I got some pretty weird looks. <laughs> up in horsey heaven is a thing. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I wonder if Chris Pratt actually did the vocals on it. You, it sounds like he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just so funny. I mean, yeah, it, I, I'm just, I'm actually, I'm happy that it came out because I've always, I've always wanted to have like downloaded versions that wasn't like YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> it's all there. Um, Speaking of YouTube, friends of the podcast, Alica released a playthrough video of their song aneurysm. Um, Recorded at Backline Studios. Uh, very, very good video. I love playthrough videos, as everybody knows. And to be able to shed some spotlight on friends of the show and to really spotlight some like good musicianship and everything, I can't, uh, you know, I can't help myself. I have, I have to shout out these playthrough videos. Like, I know I did Cognitive a couple weeks ago, and it just seems like I'm like a like a fanboy for all these people that I've had on the show, but yeah, <laughs> you actually, you saw the video too. So you, so you know that I'm not just like blowing smoke and talking a bunch of shit. Like it actually is a good playthrough video. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Playing on Warwick. It's got some, uh, pretty cool, uh, transitions in there. Yeah. Um, aneurysm isn't my favorite song off of descending their, their newest album. Um, but it is a good song. Everyone knows my favorite song is Morning Whiskey. Shout out there to RJ. You know, uh, one of the best breakdowns to come out in 2020, in my opinion. <laughs> I'll show you later. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, Alica's aneurysm playthrough video, go check it out. On this day in music history. On this day in music history, September 27th, 1975. Well, actually, it's, I guess I'm going to make this like a, uh, like a habit. Like when we have new people on the show or returning members, I'm going to let you do the honors of doing the first one. Okay. So September 27th, 1975. John Denver's I'm Sorry hits number one, giving him his second chart topper of the year following Thank God I'm a Country Boy. (laughs) I I can't help but laugh every time I hear that song or, you know, um, hear of the song because I always think of Letterkenny. And it, it was always like the the ending of their original like skits, like the uh, the Letterkenny problem skits, and it's just so funny that it would be that song when John Devers like so like like an American type thing, you know what I mean? Like yeah. like it's like like it's like blue collar American is John Denver, but you have a Canadian show that's doing it. I mean, I don't know if John Denver's Canadian or not, but if he is, that'd be really funny. <laughs> not sure. Moving forward here for four years, 1979, while performing Better Off Dead at the Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles, Elton John collapses at his piano and is rushed off stage. He returns 15 minutes later to finish the show, citing exhaustion as the cause of his collapse. Um, was this depicted in uh, Rocket Man? Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. I have I. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I've actually never seen it. I know I'm supposed to, like, especially doing this kind of thing. I'm supposed to watch these type of movies, and I just, I, I don't know, I just haven't. I, it was never like a super fucking pressing thing for me to watch an Elton John movie, but I think I have to. I, I saw it. Was it good? I, I heard conflicting it, things. I heard it, I heard it either sucked or it was good. It was good. I can't tell you if this, uh, this event was in there, though. <laughs> so that shows exactly how good this movie was. Yeah. <laughs> Official, unofficial movie reviews here at Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. <laughs> Glad to see Elton uh, recovered. No, no. This day, 1986. Speaking of not recovering from something. Rough. <laughs> Cliff Burton uh, dies in a bus crash in Sweden during Metallica's Damaged Ink Tour in support of the Master of Puppets album. Burton, aged 24 at the time, is asleep in his bunk. When the bus skids off the road, he is thrown from the window and crushed when the vehicle rolls over him. Now, I remember watching like the behind the music and everything, and obviously I've probably watched it way more times than I should have, but like... Just how graphic that must have been, because they said like it was like how like a cartoon would be, like you, like the Wicked Witch of the West from fucking yeah. Wizard of Oz. Like his feet were hanging out of the bottom, and like it's just crazy. And at that point in time, with Metallica on their rise to what they were to become, it was just absolutely fucking crazy. And rest in peace, Cliff Burton. Yeah, we'll touch base back on that in a little bit here. Um. I'm jumping way forward here to 2004. Uh, legendary rock producer Phil Spector, best known for creating the Wall of Sound uh, on hits like the Ronettes' Be My Baby and the Righteous Brothers' You Lost That Love and Feeling, 
is indicted for the February 2003 murder of actress Lena Clarkson at his estate in Al- Alhambra, California. I don't know why, but like I'm reading that as, as Alabama. Yeah. But I know it's not Alabama. But yeah, I know um, at one point or another we had talked at length about Phil Spector. But for the life of me, I can't remember anything he has done. I don't know why. But I mean, obviously you lost that love and feeling. I know that song. I'm partial to the uh, Hall and Oates version myself, but good song, yeah. good song. <laughs> uh, 2007 in Charlotte, Van Halen kick off their North American tour, bringing David Lee Roth back into the fold for the first time since 1985. Their new bass player is Wolfgang Van Halen, Eddie's 16 year old son. Obviously, I'm a huge Van Halen fan. I love Van Halen. But I would like to have gotten inside, like, Wolfgang Van Halen's head to, like, yeah. like, like witness or, you know, just to see how he felt being 16 years old and playing in these fucking amphitheaters and these fucking uh, stadiums and shit. Like, at this point in time, in 2007, this was, like, the most, like, awaited thing, like, ever. Like, yeah. Van Halen coming back in 2007 was, like, some shit that was never supposed to happen. Granted, I would have liked it better if Michael Anthony was there, but Wolfgang Van Halen, as I've said before countless times when I saw them in 2015, and obviously with his solo career and everything, he, he was a suitable replacement, and he was extremely good. But I've always wished, especially now with the passing of Eddie Van Halen, that I wish they could have mended their fences with Michael Anthony just, like, that little bit sooner. Because yeah. it just would have been like, you know, Definitely. like, like I saw the original Van Halen. Yeah. I mean, now I see them all the time on YouTube, but that's rather here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of rather here nor there, Metallica postponed their World Wired tour. So James Frontman, uh, James Frontman, James Hetfield can go back to rehab. Uh, James Hetfield has struggled with addiction and alcoholism throughout the band's career. This happened in 2019. And I don't know if they're currently on tour or have any plans to go back on tour. Um, believe it or not, listeners of the show, I don't follow Metallica and their um, current state or offerings or anything. I pretty much lost all uh, lost all faith in Metallica after the release of Lulu and Hardwired to Self Destruct. I liked Hardwired. I I don't know, man. Me and Steve had talked about this before. I feel like Hardwired is Metallica's lame attempt to get back to where they were. Like, I don't know. I mean, I I just have a thing with their guitar tone. I don't fucking like it anymore. Like, yeah. after the, honest to God, after the Black Album, I feel like their tone just, like, sucked serious ass. And for that reason, I can't listen to them. I mean, like I said, I've listened to, like, uh, I did, I did like, uh, Moth into Flame, or, uh, Now That We're Dead. Like, I like those yeah, two, yeah. but, like, that was about it. I didn't really dive deep into the album, because I, it, nothing really impressed me. But, I don't know, maybe I'll actually have to give it a shot. Yeah, I, I thoroughly liked it. Definitely a lot better than Lulu. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I think most of the episodes on this podcast are better than Lulu. Yeah. <laughs> I think the intro music to actually from all of the seasons, I believe, is better than Lulu. 
<laughs> but going back here for a minute, we're for the whole topic back to Cliff Burton and Wolfgang Van Halen. I want to talk about bass players. Since you're a bass player, you have insight into a world that I merely dabble in. Like granted there's bass players that everybody knows like Getty Lee and Les Claypool shit like that. Like everyone knows these names, but for someone like me or some of these listeners that don't really know or have like Divin or Divin dived dived into the realm of bass players. I feel like this is something that is like beyond in your wheelhouse and something that we could have a legitimate discussion about. Yeah, for sure. So what I'm thinking is we just uh, bring up some names, talk about some stuff they played on and just see where it goes from there. This is your first time on the show. So I, I think of me as like uh like your spirit animal or like your spiritual guide. I'll be your spiritual okay. guide in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got here to start with? Uh, I got a list of a couple of uh, bass players. Obviously. <laughs> so first bass player I want to bring up is uh, Matt Freeman. He's uh, the bass player of Rancid. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's one of the original members if not he came like relatively soon after they started i'll fact check this as you talk about him uh yeah matt freeman is incredible uh what uh, i guess rancid's biggest album is i uh, and out and out come the wolves and matt freeman is an original member okay actually the only person that isn't an original member is uh, the drummer Brandon and Lars, the other guitar player, because he start actually. I guess you can consider him an original member, I yeah. guess, in a way, because he came in 1993. It's uh, Lars Fredrickson, right? Yeah, Frederick. Yeah, Fredrickson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've I've gotten into Rancid a little bit. I'm not gonna say like I'm a fan or anything because I I haven't really given like. I really dived into their catalog at all, but like I've heard Rancid on occasion. I do, mm-hmm. I do like Tim Armstrong as a guitar player. And I think they're a pretty good punk band, but um, yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those things too. Like the main thing with punk bands that most people don't like think about or anything other than like the attitude of the music mm-hmm. is there's always a super good fucking rhythm section in it. Yeah. Like insanely good rhythm section. And I've always known that about Rancid. But like I said, I've never, I didn't really ever dive into their catalog at all. And I, I feel like they're one of those bands that I really should have. Yeah. It, and Outcome the Wolves is incredible front to back. Yeah. Like awesome. I'm going to have to check them out. Um, Here's a little well-known name or maybe not so well-known if you don't dive deep into the Annals of Death Metal here, but um, Alex Webster, the bass player from Cannibal Corpse. Sheer technique alone and like his ability to structure the songs, because uh, many people don't know, but he's one of the main songwriters in Cannibal Corpse. Yeah. And um, to watch a lot of his um, 
like in studio videos and like playthroughs and stuff like that is just insane. Like you think of like all the fucking super technical riffs that Cannibal Corpse has. This dude's playing with his fucking fingers and it's just insane. Like just like like you watch him, it's like like it's like spiders. It's fucking yeah. crazy. Alex Webster has always blown my mind with how he plays. I mean, granted, when you're in a band like Cannibal Corpse or you know a technical death metal band or anything like that. Like, obviously, the musicianship has to be there, but he, like, takes, like, another step further, almost like when, like, uh, like they talk about Les Claypool auditioning for Metallica. Yeah, where he was and, playing, uh, like, like Isley the Brother. whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, like, like, Alex Webster is almost too good for Cannibal Corpse. Like, he should, like, I, I'm not going to say it because I really enjoyed their music, but it's almost like Alex Webster could be in some form of, like, a like a jazz fusion type band, he fit right in. There wouldn't even be an issue. Just have this like long haired death metal guy playing fucking jazz tunes. I think it would be kind of funny, but yeah, Alex Webster, he's always been like on the top of my list for bass players for like ever, just strictly based off of technique alone. <laughs> yeah. When you get all, I guess at that point, it's all eight fingers going. Oh yeah. Like four on each hand. That usually as most, as most hands have. Yeah. Usually. They got thumbs, too. They're, they're on the back, though. So what else you got on your list here? Uh, another one I want to bring up is uh, Lewis Johnson. Okay. It's from uh, the Brothers Johnson. Oh. Uh, I remember watching a video or a movie or documentary or something about the Brothers Johnson a very long time ago, and I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, he's just one of those, like, really, like, dynamic funk players. And he was, like, he wasn't the first, but he was, like, he did it, like, with an aggression that, like, other bass players at the time didn't really cop. He's kind of, like, the original Flea. Oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. Do you have any notable tracks or anything like that? Where, you know, it would, like, show his abilities. Uh, there's one song called Get the Funk Out of My Face. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. That's funny. <laughs> um, Speaking of funk, I'm going to go here with uh, a not-funk bass player. Um, John Campbell, bass player from Lamb of God. Back to technicality, there hasn't been a band that I've heard recently that has the most technical parts, or that have as much technical parts as Lamb of God has, mm -hmm. and, you know, their fusion of, you know, like, speed metal and, like, metalcore and shit like that, it requires, like, some serious fucking playing, and at least the way that I see it is, if I were to be in, like, a, like a band situation where I was playing, like, you know, like decently heavy music, John Campbell will be the guy that I would want to be playing bass for me because I see like the way that I see him or the way that I feel about his bass playing is that he's probably like the most like chameleon type bass player. Like yeah. you could put him into anything and he just fall right into place. Um, It's unfortunate, but in a lot of the land of God mixes, like the bass is like just there. Mm -hmm. But I think if I had to pull out like a, if I had to pull out a track to kind of show off his talents, 
I would probably have to choose Walk With Me in Hell off of uh, Sacrament because he follows like the Chris Adler like uh, double kicks like like that kind of shit like he does that and it's just like to be able to play with a drummer like that and to be able to do that those kind of things and then play with two guitar players like Mark Morton and fucking Willie Adler like automatically deserves a spot on my list <laughs> yeah especially or that level of technicality going from fast drums to crazy guitars like it oh yeah defines like the sweet spot in that it's like a talent in itself yeah and everything is like so like to the point and like I don't want to say like quantized that's not the right word but everything is so like that has its place mm-hmm. to be able to like get in that like pocket and stay there is just like it's incredible at least to me I mean because obviously I'm not a bass player and I can't play anything with my fingers so <laughs> gotta give him the uh gotta give him a good old spot on my list what else you got sweet uh one one bass player that's uh <laughs> coming out of left field but definitely has a spot on my list. Hmm. John Taylor from Duran Duran. <laughs> yeah, well that's the thing too. I feel like in Duran Duran it's one of the only few instruments that are actually like legit, like actually played by a human being. Yeah, if, if you listen to Rio, mm-hmm. like he's just going off the hook. He does have he, that. That song does have a few good fucking bass lines in that. And he's a very, very capable bass player. Like, Has he done anything besides Duran Duran? Uh, he was in Tower of Power, I believe. Oh shit! Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's definitely got the chops. Oh yeah, hell and, yeah. And Duran Duran's still uh, making music. That's cool. I haven't heard I haven't heard anything new from Duran Duran in. Well, I was going to say since the 80s, but I wasn't around in the 80s, so. Yeah, they came out with an album a couple of years ago called Paper Gods, and I believe they have a new album that's about to come out. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to check that out. I've always liked Duran Duran. Yeah, they're awesome. That's awesome. Um, Notorious. <laughs> um, Obviously, it should be no surprise that my uh, list Willing, well, it's mostly in hard rock and heavy metal, but it should be of no surprise at all that Michael Anthony shows up on my list somewhere. <laughs> of course. Reason being, I feel like Michael Anthony is literally the most underrated bass player of all time. I feel like not that, you know, Van Halen was overshadowed by the talents of Eddie Van Halen, but I feel like Michael Anthony was overshadowed by Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Like, you have songs like Running With The Devil, where he's constantly playing an E, like, the entire song. Bump. Exactly. (laughs) But you also have songs like, you know, like Amsterdam, off of uh, For For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, and you have songs like Summer Nights off of 5150, and you have, you know, just... you, You have this, like, plethora of music, and... Granted, it's all guitar-driven, but how would you feel if you were the bass player playing behind Eddie Van Halen and, like, you're making these songs? Like, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I feel he, like uh, 
how do I put it? They're like as capable as some of the people that we've talked about on this list so far. Mm-hmm. Like it also goes to the other side of the spectrum where like you don't have like if you find your like pocket and you sit in it in regards to the music and that's where Michael Anthony went. And yeah. if if you were to say like, oh, like go back, play Metal uh yeah, Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> so you're falling into the trap too. Yeah. <laughs> if you play if you go back and try and come up with another bass player or bass line for like any Van Halen song. Yeah. You're probably like what he played suited the music yeah. to where it's like it would sound weird if it wasn't that. That's yeah, and like that's kind of what I was getting at with John Campbell as well. But like Michael Anthony, he is, in my opinion, like the blueprint of like I don't want to say like the ideal bass player, but as like the ideal bandmate. Like he was the team player for Van Halen. He, you know, most notably well most notably using Van Halen, but what people don't realize is he was such an integral part of that band that without him being there, it, it like it, the band just wouldn't have been the same with the harmonies that he was able to do and playing all the parts that he did and keeping the fucking rhythm going and shit with Alex Van Halen while Eddie was doing whatever the fuck he was doing. Yeah. He, like I said, I, I feel like people don't talk about him nearly enough and this isn't just me fanboying on Van Halen. Like I, I feel like I'm, I'm definitely not alone in this feeling. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, for bands that have uh guitar players or any member of the band that's you know just head and shoulders shining above everybody else. Yep. It's a different dynamic for everybody else in that band. Yeah, exactly. Especially when your band is the namesake of your own name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who else you got on your list? Anything anything notable? Uh, Chris Squire, yes. Yeah. Awesome bass yep. player. That's funny. I wish Michael was here for this because he could have a conversation with yes for fucking hours, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, he's the like yeah. he's the man. You, you can't deny how good of a band Yes is, and you cannot take away the musicianship of any of those fucking guys. Yeah, everyone in that fucking band is like light years beyond anybody else. I mean, like I feel, I feel like an old, the only band around that era that could have been. Like similar in talents might have been like Genesis, you know. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, man, uh, I love Yes. I mean, I let me rephrase that. I've never given Divin. I've never dived <laughs> deep into their catalog enough to be able to call myself a fan. However, I will not turn Yes off if I hear them. I think that they're just incredible. For sure, and he's definitely the only person I can think of. I can be super badass while wearing a blouse. <laughs> <laughs> I think Prince might have uh, my top spot of the list for that one. I don't know. Uh, Prince is also <laughs> yeah, like well, Prin- awesome. Prince is on another fucking level. Prince is just like 
like I feel like Prince and like Dave Grohl and I'm trying to think of like someone else that like would fall within that realm of like multi-instrumentalists that are like extremely good. But like I feel like Prince and like Dave Grohl are in a whole nother like level okay. above a lot of other people. And I know I kind of usually talk shit about Dave Grohl, but he is an extremely good fucking musician in almost everything he plays. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he's one of the few that have like recorded tracks where he's playing guitar, everything, drums, the first bass. Foo Fighters record. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And probably the second as well. Yeah. <laughs> it, it all depends on what back and forth one of the say. So maybe Dave Grohl's on my list too. I don't grow. I don't know. <laughs> um, Another one here on my list, kind of out of left field and probably someone that you know more of from just being in a band than actually being the bass player of the band, Duff McKagan. Oh, yeah. The reason I bring up Duff McKagan, dude, is because his bass tone is something that, like, I love. Like, you could be mine. Like, that, like, when you hear, like, like, it's just like, his tone is just fucking perfect. Like, Duff McKagan, if I were to put together, like, take parts, make the perfect bass player, it would be the tone of Duff McKagan with the abilities of Alex Webster with the band maintenance of Michael Anthony. I feel like that would be, like, the perfect bass player, like, ever. But Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, it's almost like... um. It's like when, uh, you know, in fucking Resident Evil, when they're when they're making the nemesis. Yeah. Like basically that like that, like that would be like my fucking Frankenstein's monster of a bass player. <laughs> they have to put a sheet up, have him play behind it. it yeah. Shows. <laughs> but yeah, um, Duff McKagan. And if, you know, if you've never heard you could be mine, first off, you need to get out from underneath the rock that you're living under. And uh, you need to go check that out. And Velvet Revolver, too. Yeah. Slither. Like, like, that bass sound in that is fucking incredible. He's such a good bass player. I mean, hold on. Let me rephrase that. He's not, like, an amazing bass player. His tone is just amazing. Yeah, and he's he's also one that kind of fits with, like, Michael Anthony. Like, mm-hmm. like he played exactly... He was in the what, pocket. Yeah. So, maybe that's a discussion in itself, too. What makes the perfect bass player or what makes a good bass player? Is it the fact of like the technical advantages of like, a, like an Alex Webster or a Les Claypool, or would it be someone that plays in the pocket like a Michael Anthony or Duff McKagan or I don't know, like a Jason Newstead, like something like that. Yeah. Jason Newstead makes it on my list too, because I feel like he's uh extremely underrated. <laughs> One of the next people on, on my list, we'll get into it. Uh, but what I'm going to say, what makes the perfect bass player, it's kind of like object, objectively looking at a song and like, cause like there's rhythm and lead guitar. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that. And then some with like bass playing because you can go so many ways with playing and a, like, some people just stick to one way of playing it, like, and that's their style. But yeah, like you gotta lock in with the drums. You gotta 
fit in with what the guitar is doing. Mm-hmm. There's melodies that you can hook on, like vocal melodies. There's a ton of different ways that you can go. And technicality and everything goes along with that. What people don't understand, you're about to learn now, is that me and Eric have been in various bands with one another throughout the many years of our careers of playing music. Obviously, you could see how good we were because now we're sitting here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, there was a couple bangers. I'm not going to sit here and suck my own dick, but. He can't. He's tried. <laughs> So, who do you got next on your list? <laughs> Speaking of sucking dicks. <laughs> Getty Lee. Okay. And just this preface this, I put, eh, Getty Lee. Because <laughs> he's great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And he's playing foot synth. Mm-hmm. Playing vocals. bass. Vocals. Like... I'm not a huge Rush fan, but Mm -hmm. he's definitely super, super talented and deserves the praise that he gets. Yes, absolutely. I, I can't agree with you more. I feel like it's almost like when the band overshadows the members that are in it, Getty Lee, I mean, obviously he wasn't like the main contributing songwriter to that band, but if it wasn't for him, that band would not be what they were. Like, his fucking tone was perfect. His vocals are perfect. And just the way the songs were structured and the way that he was able to play them while singing, too, it's just incredible. Like, Rush Rush is just one of those, like, national treasure type bands. Yeah. They're national treasure. (laughs) To Canada. (laughs) That was was the joke that I was going to (laughs) make. That's why I was like, uh... Um... (laughs) As an honorable mention here, uh, I want to talk about a bass player named Brian Beller. Those of you may not know who Brian Beller is, but you might be aware of who his alter ego is or was, because I don't think he's currently in the band anymore. He was the physical embodiment of William Murderface from Death Clock. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I became aware of Brian Beller cruising through YouTube as I normally do. And I saw him teaching you how to play like the death theme from death clock. And I was like, okay, how hard could that song possibly be? And technically it's not like technically it's an extremely easy song. Yeah. But hold on. Let me think of this. Musically. It's not a hard song. Technically it is. Because you're hearing him, once again, another bass player that, that finger picks, like um, like the rhythm, for those of you that don't know the song, is... And he's doing that the entire time, and I'm watching this fucking video, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, this is insane. Because you know, like, when Brendan Small originally made this shit, you know, he was playing with a pick, probably. And those songs, because... I'm I'm a huge fucking Death Clock fan. I love Death Clock and Death Album 1, 2, and 3 were amazing. And to be able to replicate and play those parts and be able to do that shit live, Brian Beller instantly gets a nod to me or nod from me and deserves a spot on a lot of lists. Um, also, he's 
just an extremely accomplished bass player. I mean, other than Death Clock, he's been in tons of other projects, another jazz fusion type guy mm-hmm. that's just, you know, he, he he's a bass player that isn't a household name, but I believe he should be. And I would like to find out why he's not in Death Clock anymore because um, I've seen the live videos of them. I think it was um, Adult Swim Fest 2019, Death Clock played, and it was incredible. Huh. That would be a really interesting show. Oh, dude, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, it was it was fucking awesome. I've always I, I always kicked myself in the ass for not seeing them when they came to Philly. I think it was like 15 or 16 or maybe even before then they played the art museum in Philly. And it was huh. like it was like the perfect like it was a perfect venue for a band like Death Clock. And for those of you that don't watch the show, you don't understand why. But give yourself uh, the opportunity to watch it because it's definitely something that needs to be saw. Did it turn out like uh, on the show? I don't think so. Cause I didn't see anything in the courier post about it or the Philadelphia Inquirer. That might be why they didn't come back. <laughs> but yeah, man, um, Brian Beller, incredible bass player. Um, well, he, I think he, I don't even think he played on any of the albums, so there's not really a spotlight track to give. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess if you were able to like think of a song of Death Clock to listen to, um, just straight on a technicality route, uh, Death Theme is one of them just because of the, the galloping lines and stuff. But probably the Galaxy off of Death Album 3. Cause it's just such like an epic song and it's just so like, like, like sonically big. That would be definitely something to check out if you wanted to hear what Brian Beller is capable of or what Brendan Small is capable of that Brian Beller plays with ease. <laughs> <laughs> My next one is the goat, the goat greatest of all time. Number one. This is who I think is the best. Okay. James Jamerson, Motown session musician. Yeah. That's that's the other thing, too, man, that people don't talk about is the Motown guys. Incredible. The Motown session musicians are just fucking incredible. And that's the thing, too. Like, you know, you hear, you know, you listen to all everyone's listened to Motown at some point in their life. It was this group of session musicians that were just fucking, they just like worked together perfectly. And, you know, all the Jackson 5 stuff, just all that shit. Marvin Gaye, Temptations, Marvin Gaye, Temptations. Foundations, you name it. Like, that. if it was a hit song back then, most likely it was from those guys. Yeah. Like, it was just insane, the hooks that they would come up with. Mm-hmm. And I think it was funny, too, because back in those times, like, the market for like bases and shit like weren't that big like you basically just had the Fender P bass and that was yeah. about it. That's the only thing you could buy. Yeah, pretty much. And uh funny thing about James uh James Jamerson just to show you like I think his main one was a 64, but he would play with the action so high that it was it looked like the action on like an upright bass you know how it's like oh really <laughs> like it's like funny. an inch and a half two inches off the fretboard <laughs> but listen to the recorded tracks like it was smooth fat yeah well that's the thing too i guess in in their minds or the way that they would do it is before 
the time period of having, you know, electric instruments, you would have an upright bass yeah. and you listen to those old songs, like the old jazz shit too. Like the bass was just huge and boomy. And I guess, I guess in a way that would be a way to get that kind of sound. Yeah. Barely touch those frets. Yeah. I mean, cause that's the thing too, you know, for people that under, that understand the, the, uh, the building of a guitar or anything like that. Like it isn't about like, it isn't like guitar hero when you press on the buttons and it makes noise. It all has to do with your fingers and the relative to from the top of the guitar to the bottom of the guitar. That's what makes the note and the tones. Yeah. And like, almost like when you have like a fretless guitar or fretless bass, it just, it just sounds so much better. Cause you don't have the fucking frets and shit like buzzing. Yeah. Or anything like that. It's just like, it's a real organic type sound. That's, that's the word I was going for. Organic. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Also, just to point out, like, fretless guitars and basses, like, without those frets being in the same spot, your finger has to be the fret. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's really easy to not play a fretless instrument well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're past the point of, like, microtones. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds That's... like a mudslide. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking but... of which, you brought a fretless guitar. Yeah. Have you ever played one? No, I have not played a fretless guitar. I've never seen a fretless guitar, ever. There, um... Because there's fretless basses out there. Yeah, there is like... fretless basses. Rob Chapman... Did a video on YouTube where, like, obviously he owns Chapman Guitars. He did a video where he had one of his guitars that was fretless. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's a production model, I don't think it is. But it was just cool to, like, watch it being played like that. Because, obviously, you see how fretless basses are. And you you know what it's supposed to sound like. Mm -hmm. And to kind of have that happen is, like, it's fucking, it's, like, it's cool. And it's just, like, there's no, like... There's like no bounds to what you can do. It's just like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's cool. I mean, I don't think there's any production guitars that are fretless, but there is definitely people I've seen on YouTube with fretless guitars and they are really fucking cool. Yeah. I wouldn't mind trying my hand at it once. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, you just had me thinking like guitar st- music stores, they usually have like at least one fretless bass. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a fretless guitar ever. <laughs> I've seen more microtonal of guitars and guitars stuff. and basses than I have. Well, I think what the big thing is with the like a fretless guitar is the difficulty in intonating. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because at least with a bass, you have such a long scale length. And for those of you that don't know, scale length is from the nut of the guitar, the top, to your bridge, the bottom. And the longer the scale length, usually the easier it is to intonate because you have such a long, you know, you just have a lot of adjustment. Yeah. But I think when it comes to a guitar with a shorter scale length, I think it's just like really difficult to intonate it right. I think that's why they don't make them. Hmm. Because you have people sound like shit all the time. Yeah. (laughs) More so than usual. Yeah. I'd I'd like to say that I would help that, but I I don't think I could. I had a fretless bass. Uh, for a couple of months, like at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Got rid of it. <laughs> Speaking of getting rid of stuff, Jason Newsted. 
from Metallica. Oh. <laughs> um, I feel like he got the raw deal in Metallica. Well, in the very beginning, he got the raw deal, and he was fucking living like a fat rat. But, um, Injustice for All, I, I don't know if you've ever heard the versions of it with the bass enhanced. Uh... I want to say I heard if isolated. If I you've heard, heard the the redone version, because obviously they're never going to fucking remaster it where it actually has legitimate bass on it. But there is a couple channels on YouTube where I've seen one guy plays the entire album with mm-hmm. enhanced bass. And the other and the other video that I seen was it's called Injustice for it's either called Injustice for Bass or Injustice for Jason. I think it's bass. Yeah. And. The songs are they they come alive because the low end was missing from it. Then obviously you have albums like the Black Album, which I regard as one of the best produced albums of all time. It just it from just from a production type standpoint, everything was like perfect. Like everything was perfect, whether or not you liked the songs or like the album as a whole. For production values alone, fucking insane and the best actually the black album has my favorite drum sound like of all time because that room that they use and everything was just perfect but we're not talking about drums isn't that the one that they used uh sm57s on the entire drum set i believe so pay no mind to the chihuahua in the background (laughs) um yeah jason newstead as a whole i feel like he fit the band really well he's another in the pocket type player Mm -hmm. and if you listen to any isolated bass tracks from any of the albums you can just hear how good of a bass player he was for that band and i think they did some crazy shit when they were recording the black album they like had like moving blankets and shit on top of his cabinets because they were so fucking loud and so percussive just shows you it just shows you how powerful his sound was to have to cover him up with moving blankets because it was like making shit rattle and stuff everywhere. I yeah. I mean, that's what I've heard. I wasn't there, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> Lars just walked walked behind the uh, amp and pulled the plug. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what happened on the Injustice for All. Lars like, can't have this. Can't have this at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I have one more that I want to bring up. Do you have any more on your list? Yeah. I feel like we could do like one more piece and I feel like this has a nice little bow and wrapped up. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to talk shit on the next guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not who you think. It's not who I think. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I, the suspense <laughs> is killing me. You want me to just say it? Yeah, just say it. Jacko Pistorius. No, that's not who I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say Chris Novoselic. No. <laughs> he sucks too, but... <laughs> I think Jacko's like, because we were just talking about fretless bass players, and that was like his thing. Yeah. And people love Jacko. Like, like, he's like the golden standard of like bass proficiency. Yeah. And I can't stand anything. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Just like, nah, not at all. <laughs> so for those listeners that don't know who you're talking about what has he been featured on uh he's from the weather report oh uh, okay uh he done he did a bunch of other stuff but 
I I never really got into him <laughs> to the point to note. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> My notable mention here is I've been saving this one for last because he's probably one of the most well-known bass players of all time. Um, he's been in more American homes since forever. <laughs> and you either know it or you don't know it. Um, the particular bass player that I'm talking about um, played on uh, the vinyls. I touch myself song single and um, played on journeys uh, 1986 album. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy Jackson. It's a good pick. It yeah, he's really... he's a really good bass player, but <laughs> but I just kind of did it as a joke. But yeah, Randy Jackson is a very good bass player. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, uh, he's he's played with all kinds of people. Um, I can't even. Uh, I I know In uh, Sync, Journey, uh, Divinals, uh, fucking. He's he's been around. I believe yeah, he played with Mariah Carey at one point too. He's I, yeah. he's done a lot, and he's an extremely good producer as well. Uh, but most notably, unfortunately, he is known as the judge from American Idol or from the that's a no from me dog. Yeah. Meme. <laughs> I've used that meme more than enough times. <laughs> yeah. We all So have. I guess to kind of wrap this thing up, do you have a bass player? It might not even necessarily be the ones that you brought up today. Do you have a bass player that you think is the best? All right, you know uh, what? That that's an objective kind of thing. Who is your favorite bass player? Let's go with that one. That one's a awesome. Because <laughs> I didn't write him down on the list, and I was just realizing this, and I was like, <laughs> "No." <laughs> Tim Comerford. Oh, <laughs> how could I forget him? I was actually surprised. I I was surprised you didn't bring him up in the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? I was am just I like doing? waiting for it, and like when you said. Like my most hated bass player, you're you're never gonna guess this one. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I hope it's not Tim Comerford because <laughs> I think that dude's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he really is. Yeah, obviously, Rage Against the Machine, Audio um, Slave, Audio Slave. He's just he's one of those he's one of those bass players that make the band. Like you For could sure. not put another bass player in Rage Against the Machine and get the same sounds. He has like the perfect fucking mixture of. The percussiveness, the funk, the fucking everything. He has the he has the X factor. He's he's like that guy. He he's just yeah, it. He's like the only person ever that could play with Tom Morello. Yeah, like pretty much. He's just words can't explain how I feel about the rhythm section of Rage Against the Machine. It's incredible. Yeah, it's. Easily one of the best fucking rhythm sections of all time. Un- undeniably. And if you don't fucking like what I said, then I guess you're going to have to find us on our social medias a little bit later. <laughs> um, <laughs> my my pick is Alex Webster, hands down. And if you don't know who he is and you're not a fan of Cannibal Corpse, whatever, go on YouTube and search up Alex Webster playthrough or... Alex Webster in the studio or just Alex Webster and he'll come right up and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So I guess that kind of puts a wrap on it. What do you think? Do you feel like we're way off on this one? Uh, do I dick ride on Metallica a little too much? <laughs> um, is Tim Comerford really not as good as I like the claim and as Eric likes to claim that he is? 
Just let you know you're wrong. Do you like Eric as a guest co-host? Find us on our social media accounts. Instagram and Twitter at RATM Podcast. Facebook.com slash RATM Podcast. YouTube search Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. And as always, if the characters for social media isn't enough, you can write us a nice email at RATMPodcast at gmail.com. But until then, let's get into our personal suggestions for the week. Would you like to go first? Uh, you go first. My personal suggestion for this week comes from the band Days of the New. Um, the song is Touch, Peel, and Stand from the album Days of the New. I was fucking around on Spotify listening to a playlist of 90s bands, and um, the song came on. I was like, all right, I can fuck with this. Obviously, I know who Days of the New are, but I feel like this is a highlight track to tell everyone to check out. What do you got for Sweet. this? What do you got for this week, Eric? You had a good suggestion. Thank you. So, uh, I guess just to harken back to Matt Freeman and Rancid. Yeah. Uh, you can, I mean, all the songs are great on an outcome, the wolves, but during to the end of the East Bay, like that shows off as great bass playing. Like it's, it's really incredible. Like, yeah, it's something I definitely have to check out. I Like I said, I've never really dove into their catalog at all, but I've always enjoyed their music. So that's definitely something to check out. So I guess on that note, this is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. Once again, you can find us on our social media accounts, facebook.com slash R-A-T-M podcast, Instagram and Twitter at R-A-T-M podcast, YouTube search Rage Against the Mainstream podcast. When we get our subscriber account up enough to be able to receive a custom URL, that'll most likely be youtube.com slash RATM podcast. But until then, you can find us on uh, all the other social medias, or you can write to us, RATM podcast at gmail.com. Eric, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Hopefully you have a good crowd response and they want you to come back. I mean, even if they don't, you're still welcome back on anytime you want. I don't really care what they think. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Bill. (laughs) But once again, this is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream podcast for the books. As always, I'm Bill. And I am Eric. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for listening.